Hey listeners, I'm Pastor Brian Dwyer, and you're listening to the Pursue God Truth Podcast on a Tuesday. Pastor Ross Anderson joins me for today's topic. And remember, you can find resources to have this conversation with your family, small group, or mentor. Find it all at PursueGod.org. Okay, Ross, today on the podcast, we're going to be finishing up our six-week series on Calvinism versus Arminianism. You know, we started six weeks ago, we talked about kind of an overview of of this debate, this age-old debate, and then we've spent some time going through TULIP, which is kind of the way that a Calvinist, uh, well, I don't know about a Calvinist, but a, kind of a way that Arminian thinks of a Calvinist at least, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've we've gone through the T and the U and the L and the I. I encourage listeners, if you miss any of that, to just go back and, and check it out. And today we're going to finish with kind of a big one. And we got a ton of scripture to cover. And today we're going to talk about the P in TULIP, which is perseverance of the saints. Now, the question here, Ross, is will a Christian once stay, once saved stay saved? Right? Which is kind of a, I think some people get fired up when they try to answer this question. Right. So actually, Brian, I'm just really encouraged we were able to solve all the issues related to Calvinism and Arminianism in just six weeks. So good <laughs> good for us, man, you know? No, but uh, really giving an o- overview of kind of like where people are coming from, I think has been maybe helpful. But this is the last one. This is the, the, the kind of the caboose on the train because it brings into play all of the other questions. And so it, it's really related to all the other issues about the nature of God's grace and and God's sovereignty and, and all the rest and for, versus human free will. So the idea is that uh, do people have the capacity to reject salvation once they chose it? So let's say when you're 18 years old, you say, I'm going to follow Jesus and you become a believer um, or you make a profession of faith and, and, and whatever that looks like in your tradition. And then, and then at age 40, you decide, no, I'm done. I'm done. I don't want. There's too much going on. Something happened. Whatever all the factors are, I just choose not to be a Christian anymore. Um, is that possible? Was that person? Is that is it something that you can turn from Jesus after you've embraced Jesus? Well, Calvinists don't think so, and Arminians would affirm that you can, because Calvinists would say if you've been truly been regenerated by an act of God then that changes your whole identity and your nature and your relationship with God, then you'll continue in salvation to the very end of your life. That's why it's called perseverance. You're going to persevere in the salvation that God has granted you. But Arminians Arminians believe that Christians can persevere to the end of their life, but they don't believe that it's guaranteed that you can never fall away. Because the free will element is... If you chose to follow Jesus, then we why not? Why can't you choose to to uh, renounce Jesus at some point later in your life? Yeah, it's like following someone on social media. You can unfollow, right? So that's that's kind of how a, an Arminian would see it. Now, Calvinists, some Calvinists like to joke that okay, we've been talking about the tulip for Calvinists. And uh, and so some Calvinists say, okay, then Arminians believe in a daisy. You're like, think about a daisy, and you pull a petal off. He loves me, and then you pull another petal off. He loves me not. And so that's kind of a Calvin. I would say a little bit of a jab for a Calvinist. Oh yeah, but that's that's yeah. probably not the right way. Even an Arminian would maybe be offended by that joke because that it's not about whether God loves him or not. 
right? Right, well, exactly. It's not, a, it, it doesn't, uh, it's not about whether God is like fickle or whether God changes your ad, his attitude toward you or whatever. Um, the, other, the idea is at the heart of the, of the Arminian perspective, just like in other areas of this debate, the Arminian perspective, the heart of that is human choice, the, the, the human free will. And so it's really more about whether I love God or not, or whether I choose mm. God or not. And so yeah. uh, if a person initially chose to respond to God's invitation, then what would prevent that person from changing their mind later on or rejecting God's invitation um, later on in their life? And so that's that's now some people think about it like this. Okay, can Christians lose their salvation because they no longer measure up, because they sin? And, and if you say yes, the Arminians typically are not saying yes to that. Now, in the past, there's been that drift in the Arminian overall theology. There's been people who say, oh, yeah, yeah, um, you lost yourself, or you, you drifted away from God because you were not willing to be obedient or whatever. But that puts salvation on a completely works-based or performance-based um, uh, basis, and nobody would, would agree with that. And so it's not like you can fall out of God's grace by living a worldly life or by committing some kind of unpardonable sin. Uh, Arminians are not saying that. Um, but so they don't, they don't believe that if you're a real Christian, you'll ever be disqualified by God from your salvation because of how well or how, how you lived or whether you lived up to God's law or lived a holy life or not. So it's not really, that's not, can you drift out? But the question is, what do you choose? Can you choose once saved to not be saved? If you've embraced Jesus by faith, can you later choose to reject Jesus and thus then therefore be eternally lost? That, that's really the heart of it. Okay, so let's start with the Calvinist perspective on this. Obviously, it makes sense when you take all of the tulip in, you know, consider the T and the U and the L and the I, it makes sense that we're landing here, right, Ross, that, look, this was God's choice. It was his election. It was all his work. It was zero um, my work. I, I'm dead in my sins. He makes me alive. This is completely, you know, the Holy Spirit regenerates me, and then I respond. So it makes sense for a Calvinist to say, obviously, you know, the sovereignty of God is in view here. God is sovereign. You, who do you think you are that you could that you could unchoose him? He's the one who chose you. That makes a ton of sense. And so again, it, it's like the starting point for the Calvinist is really the action and the character of God. The starting point for the Arminian, they would say this is the character of God because he offers the invitation to salvation, provides the prevenient grace. But but ultimately, the the human being is in the driver's seat. Uh, with respect to salvation, so this is this makes sense. This is a consistent approach on on both parts in keeping that in mind. And so, um, the idea is that God's will, God is sovereign; His will can't be changed. So that not a single person that God chose and for whom Christ died um, will ultimately be lost. They'll be they'll be glorified when Christ returns. So. Um, all those who are delivered by God's grace in this way are going to show the evidence of that. They're going to be transformed by that to live a life of perseverance um, and obedience. They're going to have, now, that's not saying you suddenly live a perfect life, but you're going to have ups and downs in your intimacy with God. Your obedience with God is going to waver at times. Uh, you might have times of wandering, 
but because believers are kept in the faith by the power of God, then those who are chosen by God, the elect as we've been calling them, will ultimately persevere. They will never lose their salvation. And so a Calvinist might argue, say, you know, from 2 Corinthians 5.17, the old is gone, a new life has begun for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so they might use an illustration like, look, a butterfly can never go back to being a caterpillar again. Your, your fundamental nature is changed, and it's a work of God, and so you can't go backwards and unchange it. Yeah, so now um, the Arminian would respond that, yes, you can. And so because the fun, something fundamentally changed because of, because of your response to the gospel. And if you don't respond to the gospel, then that's, that's going to change back. But to me, the way I think about that is like once um, it's like the new birth. The Bible talks about being born again. And so a child, once a child is born, it can't go back into its mother's womb again. Human beings, so once they were born of the Spirit, then we, we don't revert to our previous existence because this new condition, this new identity is something God has transformed. There's something fundamentally different about me as a, as a being that, um, that, that goes beyond maybe the choices that I might make. Okay, let's hit some scripture, Ross. I'm going to throw out a script. This is a speed round. I'm going to throw out a scripture, and I want you to explain it through the eyes of a Calvinist. Ma- Matthew 24, 24. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. Now, why, why does this land in the Calvinist list and not the Arminian list? Because the, the, idea, the idea of if possible is sort of like, well, well, if, but not really. In other words, it's not, not really possible. It seems like it's not possible to deceive God's chosen ones, to deceive the, the elect. And so that's like, he's saying, well, if this was possible, this would even be how bad it is. But the implication is, well, it's not really possible for God's elect to be, cho- uh, to be uh, deceived. Okay, Luke 15, this is from the prodigal son story. It says, when, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and I'll say, father, I've sinned against heaven and you. Now, an Arminian might say, wait a second. See, look, this, this guy fell away and lost his salvation. How would a Calvinist see this, this parable if it's speaking about salvation? Yeah. Yeah, the Calvinist would say, look, maybe the prodigal son fell away for a time, but it was not permanent. And, and what's at the heart of the story is he never stopped being a child of his father. He never, he never, he, he might have said, I want nothing to do with my family, my dad, whatever, I want my narrative, but he never stopped being a child of his father. And so that fundamental identity was intact. And he experienced that when he returned to the Father, but the identity was intact the whole time. Okay, John 4, 14, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again, Jesus speaking. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Right, here's this, this again plays to the idea of there are elements of salvation that, are, that seem to be irrevocable in the Bible. So those who drink this water never be thirsty again. So the idea of being thirsty means being outside of God's grace and outside of God's provision. But Jesus says, look, the water I give, you'll never be thirsty again. And so it's like, oh, 
you can't just say, oh, I want to reject this water forever and then I, I will be thirsty again. So it seems irrevocable. It seems a metaphor that implies something that's fundamentally changed for good. Okay, these next few passages are big ones. The, these are ones that a Calvinist would say, man, how could you not believe in perseverance of the saints when you hear something like this from John 6, 39? And this is the will of God that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. That sounds like perseverance. Right. And yet Calvinists love this verse um, because it also speaks to the idea of election and the idea of God's choosing and so forth. But the idea is that if it's God's will that of all that he gives to Christ, none should perish. And so Jesus says, no, none will perish. He says, I'm going to lose any of them. No matter what they, it's kind of like no matter what they do, they're going to be raised up on the last day, the ones God has given to me. And so perseverance then is rooted in the success of Jesus to accomplish the Father's will. It's not rooted in what uh, people think or do or, or the, the choices they make along the way um, or their faithfulness to, to, the, to God or whatever, but it's rooted in Jesus' success um, to do what God called him to do. And it goes with John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. But Ross, someone someone might say, okay, then what about what about Judas? So how do we how do we figure Judas into this equation? Yeah, so this is a this is a big question um, between the two points of view. Is what about the person who appears to be a believer, a person who um, you know was seems to be chosen by God, who seems to be uh, you know faithful and has ministry, and has fruit, and all the rest. And then what happens 20 years later, in Judas's case, is three years later, when they when they decline? And the question would be, the Arminian would say, well, that person clearly chose to reject, and they're no longer saved. The Calvinist would say, well, that person somehow was probably never elect in the first place. And that, and they, it looked like they were. Um, there's, the, there's the parable that Jesus gives of the wheat and the weeds, the tares, as we used to say, um, that you have a lot of lot of plants that look like wheat, and it's all sorted out at the end. Um, now the Armenians have a pretty important argument in response to that. We'll we'll cover that when when we get there. But I think what John uh, ten, what Jesus is saying there is that the ones who who receive eternal life are not going to perish, and and nobody's going to snatch them away. And I think the Armenian would maybe say, well. Nobody maybe will snatch you away, but you could choose to be to walk away. I think it might be the response. All right, Romans 8, 29 to 30 says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his, this son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen, chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself, and having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. So there seems to be like a progression here, and that's what a Calvinist would would point out, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Now, the Arminian would point out that God foreknew these people in advance. God foreknew them. They'd say his calling is based on foreknowledge. That's another topic that we talked about a few weeks ago. But the Calvinist is going to say, look, there's a there's a a, a sequence here, and it results in glorification. That he, those who chose, he called; those he called, he justified, gave them right standing, and then those he justified, he will glorify. Well, glorification is a future condition. 
It's a future event that when we're resurrected, we're glorified. And so he's saying that, look, all the ones who are God is going to call, all the ones that God you know, is going to justify, then they're going to make it to that future time, to that, to that resurrection, to that moment of glory that, that Christians um, look forward to. All right, 1 Corinthians 1.8, he will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. This seems, again, this seems like a big one for a Calvinist because it's like, look, he's promising, it sounds like a promise that he's going to keep you strong. He's going to be the one, not you. He's because he chose you, he predestined you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that does seem to be the strength of this or the gist of this, that he will, not he may. He may keep you strong to the end if you, you know, decide to stay strong. No, that's not what it says. He will keep you strong, so you, you're going to be free when Jesus comes back again. Again, it's a future thing. So there's a culmination of the Christian life. When Jesus comes back again, you will be free from all blame. In other words, you're not going to you're not going to drift outside of the camp, so to speak, so that you're irrevocably no longer a, a follower of Jesus. And so that seems to go along with Philippians 1, 6. I'm certain that God who began the good work in you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, same author, um, verses 23 to 25. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. May your whole spirit and soul and body be be kept blameless until our Lord comes again. God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful. So Calvinist would say, look, he's writing to... The church in Corinth and Philippi and Thessalonica, and it seems like it's pretty clear that that Paul was a Calvinist, <laughs> you know, or at least <laughs> believed in perseverance of the saints. Right. right. So the idea, I think, the idea of these of these verses is that perseverance is based on God's action, not ours. It's based on God's faithfulness, not ours necessarily. God will make this happen for He who calls you is faithful. So. I may not be faithful in, in all times to, to in Jesus in my life, but God is always faithful. And so God is going to make it happen. Um, and so it's really they, so this way Calvinists emphasize the will of God over the individual will of people. And so, Ross, would, it, would an Arminian say, look, I mean, I love these verses, but it's it's not making a promise to everyone. Would an Arminian say, no, the ones who stay faithful stayed faithful because God made it happen, but it's it's not a guarantee that that's going to happen for everyone because, because humans have free will. And if they chose for God, they can choose against them. Yeah, that's exactly what the argument would be. I think the Calvinists would come back in these verses and say, well, Paul's writing to the whole church. You know, he's not right. He doesn't say, those of you who remain faithful, or those of you, there's a certain group of you for whom this is true. That Paul's really writing generically to the whole church, and if you're so, if you're part of the church, it means you've been born again. Then that, then the promise of God then would apply to you, and and simply, it's not like it's not like Calvin is not saying like, oh, you can that that you don't have a choice in the matter. Well, in a sense, there's there's a human will is directed by God. So why do you choose? Why do you continue to choose? Why do you choose in the first place? Because God first chose you, and then God works through. So the idea is that God does not, um, God does not coerce or manipulate the human will in some strange way that says, you know, I'm an automaton, I'm a robot, I can't really, I don't have a real choice. But my real choices are animated by God's choice. 
that that they go they go hand in hand. So why does a person choose? Well, the reason a person chooses to follow Jesus is because God first chose them, and God worked in a way that, in the context of that of that person's um, will and their responsibility for their choices, that that God's sovereign choice then becomes activated through my choice. And so you see examples of of God working through people's choices to accomplish what his will ultimately is. Um, And we could go into that, but uh, in Acts chapter two, for example, but that might be a little bit far afield from, from today's conversation. Okay. So let's, there's some more verses we want to cover, but let, let's just shift here for a second to the Arminian point of view. I, I know we're kind of covering both hand in hand, but Arminian, Arminians wouldn't talk about it in terms of perseverance of the saints. They would talk about it, or or some people might say eternal security. Like you can't lose your salvation; you are eternally secure. Uh, an Arminian would talk about it in terms of conditional security in Christ. Or maybe you've heard the phrase that you can fall from grace. That that having received grace, you can fall from grace. And the the heart of this again, we've talked about this throughout this series, Ross. The heart of this is that the Calvinist is, has the sovereignty of God in view, but the Arminian has the free will of man in view. Or, you know, for a lot of these other things that we've been talking about, the the great the kindness of God in view, because because it seems like he's really mean. Or, it, but in this particular topic, an Arminian isn't thinking about it in terms of he's mean. He's think, it's he's thinking about it in terms of yeah, you're right. It's like. That that I I'm an I'm a robot. I can't make an actual decision. So really, we're talking here about free will. People have free will. So if they can choose for Jesus, then they can choose against Jesus. Right. And the, that's a, free will is at the heart of it. Now Calvinists would reply that nobody has absolute free will, but we're we'll, we're free to choose according to the nature that we have. So I think we talked about once before. If you if you put um, hay in front of a lion. And, and say eat, you know, he has totally f- total freedom to eat that hay, but he doesn't. But he's not going to want to eat the hay because he's a carnivore. You put meat in front of the lion and say eat, he'll eat the meat. And so the idea is that we are free to choose, but within the boundaries of our nature. And then the, the Arminian response is, well, God, God's prevenient grace makes the lion want to eat or or be okay with eating the hay. I don't know. So. Um, but yeah, you're you're right. So the point is is like how much free will does a person have? How absolute is the free will? Because they are for the Arminian, um, that's just really important that that God does not coerce, that God does not impose his will on on any individual. They feel like that that takes away the legitimate responsibility that humans have to be right with God or to, or to, or for judgment. Um and so it makes sense from that perspective that if someone goes from being an unbeliever to a believer and that person's saved, then likewise, if they go from being a believer to an unbeliever, that that's possible and that person will actually be lost because, because God's... And, and both would are, again, the, pre, the grace of God is at work in both scenarios, but it just works a different way like we talked about another time. All right, so Ross, let's. I, I know one of the questions that always comes up whenever I have this conversation with people is, okay, so then, then how does a Calvinist explain someone who once professed Christ and then doesn't anymore? Right? It seems like one of two things must be true when you're just thinking about it logically. 
One is that that person never was really truly saved in the first place, right? Is that one of the options? Yeah. Yeah. So that, you know, that's how the Calvinist system makes sense because you feel like, you figure like, oh, that person must have um, had some kind of a of a dis, of a decision to adopt the Christian way or to become part of a faith community or whatever, but they never really were regenerate. They never really were born again uh, because they couldn't, you know, that that then would ultimately that would change them in the long run. And this is a, this is a challenge because I mean we've all known people who looked like great Christians and then they weren't. Or they didn't, and we go like, "What happened?" You know, um, the, the Armenians will point out that there's a lot of lot of people who have these long track records of just impressive, what we'd call fruit. Uh, they have a long record of loving God and trusting and serving Jesus, and and really being involved in ministry and all the things. And it wasn't just like a flash in the pan; it was ten years or twenty years or longer. Um, during those years of bearing fruit, they often would identify fully as being followers of Jesus. So their self-awareness was, was clearly as Christians. Um, so did they never really trust Jesus in the first place? Or did they, they, did mm. they never have the Holy Spirit in the first place? And um, so it's, it's, a, it's a, something to think about for sure. The Calvinists would say, um, no, it proved it in the end. It proved in the end that they were not truly elect. And the Arminian would say, well, wait a minute, that's kind of a, a, a big uh, burden of, of thinking to adopt that kind of idea for someone who's been fruitful for so long. Yeah, because the Calvinists would say either, either they weren't saved in the first place or they'll, like the prodigal, they'll come back. Like just they'll, they'll persevere in the end. Like there's ups, like you mentioned earlier, Ross, there's ups and downs, but they'll persevere in the end. But an Arminian would say, okay, then how can you ever have right assurance of salvation for for a in a calvinist framework i won't really know till the end i won't know about me and i won't know and really even maybe you'd say i don't actually ever know because maybe you know the jesus also says many will say lord lord didn't we do all these things in your name but he says i never knew you and so in Arminian, I'm going to simplify this for us, but an Arminian says, look, God's word says, if you profess your faith in Jesus Christ, you know, showing genuine an attitude of repentance, then you'll be saved. It's pretty simple. For, but, but an Arminian would say, can a Calvinist really even, can they even really share Romans 10, 9 and 10 with, with simplicity? Or is it like, oh, there's a little asterisk there because it really just all depends. It all, it just depends if you're elect or not, because we talked last time about the the outward call versus the inward call. You can make the outward call, but if you're making the outward call to a to an unelect person, then they might respond on the outside. But if they don't respond on the inside, it doesn't really matter. It's a false conversion. Am I am I summarizing this properly, Ross? Yeah, for sure. Now, this is one of the uh, arguments that Arminians will often make against the Calvinist view of perseverance of the saints. Is that you know, um, if salvation is based on some unknowable decree of God, then we can't really know before our life is over, before we get to and before we're resurrected from the dead, or whatever. We can't really know if we're among the elect. And I think uh, you know, you and I have talked before about the generation of of say Jonathan Edwards, where Calvinism was pretty prominent, 
in American life. And there were people were trying to figure out how do I establish as I grew up in the church, maybe grew up as a kid, a teenager, a young adult, whatever, how do I establish that I really am one of God's chosen people, that I really am part of, quote, the church? Um, and that was a big issue. It was a big issue for um, the, the trend in, say, Edwards' father and other clergy at the time was to create kind of a burdensome way to prove it. And so people were kind of crushed by that burden of like, I have to prove that I'm elect. And so it's, it's a fair question. That we can never, ultimately, they say you can't really be sure your faith will endure to the end until the end, right? And then only then to be proven uh, uh, genuine. So security of salvation, um, that this idea of the, the idea of God's sovereignty and salvation, it doesn't really actually help me become confident in my salvation. But but Calvinists would respond that you know um, you can't if if you can't be sure whether or not you will indeed persevere in faith to the very end, um, then you can't possibly have any assurance of salvation either. And so if the Arminians are correct about this, then I can never know. I might make a choice that I don't foresee. I might make a choice next week or next year or whatever. I don't foresee that choice now. That's going to so Arminians will say that you can only be assured in the present moment that, that you really are born again, you really are a, a believer. Um, and so really both of them, both of them ultimately are rooted in some of the same biblical questions and same biblical principles. Um, we have subjective experiences, like a personal sense of belief. We have a changed life. We have the inner witness of the Spirit. Um, and then we also have these, we, those are subjective, but we also have objective truths, the promises of God, the love, the mercy of God, the merits of the blood of Christ, his sacrifice on the cross. And so those are things that both parties ab- appeal to, um, to try to establish the idea of, of security. The Calvinists would say you are secure because you are, your, uh, salvation is based on the faithfulness of God and the sovereignty of God. The Arminian will say you're secure if at the present moment, then you're following Jesus and you're showing the fruit of that. So Ross, how uh, let's get to kind of a real practical thing. You know, at the Pursue God Resources all about helping people become disciple makers. So, so let's say I'm a Calvinist and I'm discipling, I'm bringing them through the pursuit and which is kind of our basics of biblical Christianity in chapter six in the pursuit, we talk about saving faith. We talk about responding to the call, to the gospel call. So there you are. You you know the person that you're talking to clearly seems to have evidence of repentance and 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 you know they're articulating that they believe what God's word says and they want to trust Jesus for salvation. How does a Calvinist? You know, for for an Arminian, they would say, awesome, let's pray the prayer. They'd pray the prayer. And then chapter seven, lesson seven, is about baptism. And we're going to get you baptized because that, that's, that seems to be the pattern in, in the book of Acts is, you know, Philip shares the gospel with the Ethiopian eunuch. He responds to this. And the eunuch says, why shouldn't I be baptized? He baptizes him right there, right then and there. It's not like a Jonathan Edwards experience where it's like, well, you, we're going to have to wrestle with this, and you need to just, you need to really see if you truly are part of the elect. 
it seems like when I read about Jonathan Edwards' story, it was a much, much more drawn out process. Whereas the simplicity of the early church was, you profess your faith in Christ, we're going to baptize you because Jesus told us to. Is that how a Calvinist would view it today? Or, or is there more vetting that needs to be done if, if we're trying to determine if the person truly is the elect? Yeah, I don't think, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't think that most Calvinists, now I'm not familiar with maybe some of the fringe or the far, you know, kind of, uh, super hyper Calvinists or whatever and how they would handle this. But I think most Calvinists that I've, I've talked to or know would say that, you know, the biblical pattern that we see is makes sense that you profess faith and you get baptized, that your, that your baptism is based on that, that initial evidence, that moment of that subjective internal evidence, the promise of God that says, you know, if you, that you, you trust you know in Christ, then you're born again, and you should express that in baptism. So I don't I don't think there's a, this idea for most Calvinists. There's not this idea of having to prove that you're elect, or finding some way to make it prove to, to provide proof that you're elect somehow. But you live in the moment of it. And they both really the Calvinists as much as the Arminian is probably saying that it's really what matters is what's happening right now, and um, who knows where that will lead and what that will show. But again, um, it seems to be like counterproductive to a Christian life if you are elect to not act like you're elect and to not, not accept that you're saved, to accept that the promises of God have applied to you instead of not you're not you're not stressing out and worrying about, oh, am I really am I really saved or not? So then the Jonathan Edwards era. Is that not really how modern day Calvinism works? I mean, I again to me when I read you know, his biography, and I encourage people to read that. It really is interesting to think about. I mean, he really wrestled as a young man for quite a while. And I'm pretty sure he wasn't a member of the church until, until he had wrestled with it sufficiently and had proof that he truly was saved, that he truly was among the elect. Unless I'm reading that wrong, that's how it appeared to me. Now, maybe that's just kind of the natural progression of of a of a culture a calvinistic culture i'm not really sure i don't have the answer yeah. to that but it makes yeah. me wonder about modern day calvinists it just seemed like when i read it i felt i felt just such a burden for people growing up in that culture to think where well, like where do you have assurance of salvation and now it does it does feel like it becomes works based just like arminianism can become come works based it seemed like that culture, that at least in that era, it seems like Calvinism in that era was the same way, maybe a little works-based. Yeah. And I, I think it's probably the fruit of a system that had developed over time. Now, I, I would say that now there's two different kinds of Calvinists. There's those who, um, in, in terms of one of these factors that some people are um, Many Calvinists historically have been uh, practicing infant baptism, and others mm -hmm. practice believer's baptism. So the question you raised of baptism is, so if you're baptized as an infant, to me, that exacerbates that whole question, because mm -hmm. you didn't come to a faith decision on your own, in a sense. Uh, you, were, you were included in the church community, in the covenant community, by virtue of baptism before you had a choice about it. And so, you know, maybe then then you you're going like, oh, where does the choice come into play? That I become that I become 
regenerate. And that's where raised in the church, raised with all the practices and habits and culture of the church, then you might wrestle with and struggle with maybe as a young adult or some or later, whatever later uh, phase that is, that you go, oh, like, wait, okay, when, how have I owned this personally? How am I, you know, how have I reflected this reality? So I think that, I, I think that in um, pedo-baptist approaches that maybe that that's maybe so i'm not a pedo-baptist so i, I don't want to speak you know out of school from how they think about it but I, but it seems to me like that could be um one of the factors that would feed that sense of insecurity mm. about your faith before we leave the the topic of assurance of salvation i, I have to read this other verse that's that's really powerful and that i think again everyone needs to consider when they're thinking through where you land on this topic, 1 John 2, 19, it says, these people left our churches, but they never really belonged to us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong to us. So this is a verse that a, a Calvinist would point to and say, see, look, there, there's an example that when if someone doesn't persevere to the end, it just it just means they, they never really were elect. Right. And so I'm not sure... Um, who, you know, John is talking about, whether there's a sense he's talking about people who were, I mean, apparently they are part of the, they part of the, the ministry and, um, but then they somehow proved by their actions in the long run that they were never really, he says, they never belonged to us. Does that mean they're never saved? Well, that seems to be the implication of that. Um, apostasy then reveals that the person was where they really stood with God all along the way. Ross, I think it'd be good here as we're wrapping up this lesson and this whole series to kind of go back to history just for a second and talk about the fact that early Arminians, when it comes to the eternal security, absolute security, the P, perseverance of the saints, early Arminians actually left this question a little bit open, right? They they weren't really sure. Even Arminian, Arminius himself didn't really land firmly on one on one issue here. Whereas Wesleyan Arminians later on, John Wesley, the Methodist, they they did they did take more of a stand on this. Yeah. So I think the earliest Arminians for them, you know, they're trying to figure out the all the other stuff. And so they they express some doubt whether it's taught in scripture. Um, and they clearly emphasized the personal responsibility of an individual, their choice. Um, but they weren't sure whether or not uh, what, how it played out or what the final kind of verdict was about this issue. They left the question open, I think. But when, but what probably most Arminians today in, in America, in our setting, um, are Arminians because of the Wesleyan tradition, because they're denomination or their their church whatever flowed out of the Wesleyan revivals uh, ultimately in America that happened in the 1700s and um, and early 1800s um, and so the Wesleyans kind of nailed that down for for Arminianism in general and said yes it is possible to be truly regenerated then fall away and so um, you know that that's kind of a divide. That's probably the majority the majority case. I think most most people's understanding of Arminianism would include that, that. Yeah, they don't believe in. They're not just open about that, but they deny the idea of perseverance of the saints. Okay, so so Arminians even today, Arminians in general. It, let's just kind of 
frame this in terms of the of the the tulip argument. Armenians in general, some of them deny three of the five points of Calvinism. Wesleyan Armenians deny four of the five. Okay, so let's start with the the three of the five camp. So Armenians in general say, look, here's we don't agree with unconditional election. Number one, we don't agree with limited atonement. And like you said, a lot of a lot of even Calvinists are only four point Calvinists. So so the L falls off for a lot of Calvinists as well. And then Armenians in general say we don't agree with irresistible grace. So we're going to throw out the U, the L, and the I. But Ross, you're saying that some Armenians still believe in total depravity, the T, and they believe in perseverance of the saints, or again, some people might say eternal security. Right. So everybody believes in the T. That's why uh, that's the one of the five elements of of the tulip that are in, that are in common. But some some Arminians, I've known Arminians who believe in perseverance of the saints, but but they believe on in it not on the basis of God's unconditional election, but they believe it on the basis of the argument that we talked about earlier about the nature of a transformation in the nature of a human being. Um, and so, and then other other Arminians in general would just say, "Well, we're not sure, or we doubt if that's a biblical thing," but um, but we don't necessarily deny it. And so, it's the it's the Wesleyan Arminians that um, deny those those other three plus the perseverance. So they believe in total depravity too. So they but they deny the other four: the uh, unconditional election, the limited atonement, the irresistible grace, and the perseverance of the saints. Now I know I know folks who are I've met many many people over the years who feel very strongly that Calvinism and the idea of election is just offensive and they get really fired up about it and at the same time they get really fired up about people who believe you can lose your salvation. So those right so these these are people who believe really strongly in that well they might not know they believe strongly in the T but they believe very strongly in the P, but yet they throw out all the rest of it. And so it's interesting, just even as our listeners are processing this for themselves, think about how you've grown up. Think about just what gives you a rise a little bit when you're thinking about some of these topics. And I think that'll give you a sense, at least for the tradition, maybe, that you've been raised in. Yeah, you know, that's interesting because um, a couple of years ago, I spoke at a conference in a in a denomination or a movement, I guess you could say, that's pretty um, Arminian. And um, and so when I got there, I had a booth. Um, next, the, next, the guy in the booth next door was, he had literature, and his literature was like, it was like f- really flamingly against perseverance of the saints. And it kind of took me by surprise, is how, how vehement they were about saying, no, you've got to stick with it. Mm-hmm. You've got to you know, st- you know, be faithful and true, and don't believe anybody who says that you could never lose your salvation because they're setting you up. You know, I just couldn't believe how how vehement that was, and that gave me a, a taste of a of one segment of that community in terms of how they viewed this uh, particular question. Yeah. So, Ross, why don't we just close with the, just the kind of the takeaway? What's the takeaway? As people are probably using this series, maybe hopefully people are going through this with a mentor or a small group. They're uh, maybe they're finishing up this series on Calvinism versus Arminianism. Maybe they're more confused than ever. Maybe they've got some clarity. Maybe they just need to do some more study. 
you know, from your perspective, Ross, what's the takeaway? Because we haven't really pushed one perspective over another perspective. We're trying to help people to make their own decisions. But I don't know, give us your best sort of pastoral admonition here at the end of our of our series. Yeah, when I was a young Christian, I was new in the faith. Somebody shared this illustration with me. It's kind of stuck with me ever since. Um, let's say you're riding in the back of a pickup truck. Well, now back in the day when I was a young Christian, people rode in the back of pickup trucks. I know they don't anymore, right? But uh, you're riding in the back of a pickup truck. It's open. You're not sure whether the tailgate is open or not. So if you don't want to fall out, you're just going to stay as close to the cab as you can. You're not going to mess around going, let's go down and see how close we can get to the tailgate, you know? Um, And the, the analogy there is like, stay as close to Jesus as you can. It's going to, it's going to solve everything. You know, you're not going to fall away. Or if it was possible to fall away, you're not going to fall away. Um, and it's also going to give evidence of the fact that you are, you know, chosen by God. The, the idea is just stay, let's just stay as close to Jesus as we can. Let's not worry about mess around with, with like skirting away from what if I chose to, to deny my faith or what if somebody, you know, and in that, in that way, someone who believes in perseverance and the person who doesn't believe in it, they're really, they're going to live the same way. They're going to live to honor God. They're going to live on mission with God to, to, to obey Him and to, to be part of what God's doing in the world. They're going to bear the fruit. And so really, it's in a sense, it's like we've said this before, that the very best Arminians and the very best Calvinists, who are the best representatives of their position, really get their position, they really live their life pretty much the same, you know, because they're obedient to God, and they live it based on Scripture. And so I'd say, you know, instead of worrying about whether the tailgate is open, uh, just stay close to the cab, and you're going to be fine. That's good. Well, the series is called Calvinism versus Arminianism. I hope you've enjoyed it so far. If you missed any of these, you can go listen to those on the podcast, or you can find it all online at pursuegod.org forward slash faith, and you can find this series along with so many more series that are podcast-based that really will help you to make disciples, who make disciples among your family, your small group, or one-on-one with a mentor. Hey listeners, this is Brian Dwyer reminding you to rate this show on your favorite podcast app. That really does help us when you do that. That way more people can discover this podcast and start listening. And also don't forget to share the podcast with a friend.